You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Screenwriters Need to Hear This. I'm Michael Jamin, and I got a great guest for you today. This is my this is one of my this is one of my first bosses, actually. And uh, yeah, yeah, John, it's true. I'm here with John Abel. Uh, one of the partner, his partner is Glenn Berger. I'll have him on in a future episode. So tell him to just relax. I know he wants to be. Well, let's see show. how this goes first. Yeah, he'll exactly. So uh, yeah, and this guy's got a ton of credits. We, he's a real life movie writer. So let me give, I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell you, John, and then I'll let you talk for a second. But first, let me talk. Let me sell you up. I'm That's fine. Prove, everyone knows, like I'm a, people say I'm a good creative writer. Well, I'm going to prove it by selling you here by building you up. So he's written on AUSA. He wrote, wrote on King of the Hill for many years, including uh, he was the showrunner, season five, co-showrunner. Matt, he also worked on Married to the Kellys. Uh, that was his TV. That was his run in TV, I think. And then he went on to write Kung Fu Panda, Kung Fu Panda 2, Kung Fu Panda 3, proving like, you know, milking that thing, just milking that Kung Fu Panda thing. And then Trolls, Monster Trucks, and you've got a couple couple upcoming stuff I want to talk about. Jonathan Abel, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was okay. What, wasn't good? What should I have said? Well, you, King of the Hill was six years, and like that was, was six. That was great TV. And then and then you kind of mentioned some things that was on six weeks with the same, yeah. the same yeah. emphasis. I'm pretty sure, but I'm pretty sure. So they're not equal, you're saying? You're saying? Well... You know, some some are hits and some are are learning experiences. I'm wearing my shirt for you, by the my King of the Hill shirt. But let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you. Uh, let me tell you something else. So, we you you guys, you and your partner Glenn hired basically you and Richard Pell hired us to be on King of the Hill. Uh, I think there was an opening because of Paul Lieberstein left, and we literally took his office. So I credit. I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. When we got when we joined the show, it was like you know it's your responsibility to get up to speed so i asked for every script that was written or every you know anything on dvd that was already shot and i distinctly remember reading all your guys scripts you and you and glenn scripts and just thinking man every script you wrote was just tight it was so tight and you'd come out of the box with a big joke and it was just so well written and like you know i didn't there's 20 writers in the show but i remember that your, your scripts always stood out like man these are always oh, you appreciate know, that. always good yeah, I also appreciate your uh, your diligence. My diligence. You, well, oh. to come into a job and say, "Let me read everything. Let me see everything." Oh, is, I didn't uh, think that it was, was a bit a, of a challenge with a hundred episodes. I was dreadful. The whole thing was a horrible experience. Uh, there's a lot to, but I remember. But you have to do it. You have to. That's how you get the voice of the characters and but the tone, like what kind of show episodes are being told. I remember. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I remember we had just we were on just shoot me you know, for the first four years. And I remember after the first season, King of the Hill was up against Just Shoot Me. And I remember I was actually house-sitting for Steve Levitan for some reason. And uh, and we were watching, I, we threw a big party. He, he wasn't in the house. And, and we were watching King of the Hill. It just came on. It was the, it was, you know, the Bobby's falls in love with the, the dummy. Ep- and, I, and I remember watching thinking, oh no, this is the competition. <laughs> this, is, this is really good. <laughs> that we used to watch to shoot me all the time in the writer's room and feel that same way. Is that right? I didn't I know that. Don't, no, uh, I don't think so. But I, it just feels like it would, it should be. Yeah, you, you actually used to reciprocate. That'd be a nice thing to say. It would have been. Uh, but yeah, so damn, the show was, and I still get, I, even today I get a ton of uh, compliments on 
on King of the Hill. But tell me more. Tell me how you broke in. How did you guys even get on King of the Hill? We were very lucky in that before we even moved to California, we, Glenn and I met, we were management consultants, and we met someone at this consulting firm who was college roommate with Greg Daniels' wife. And when we first started thinking, maybe we don't want to be consultants and would prefer to be comedy writers, she said, you should talk to Suzanne, give her a call. So we called Suzanne to say, we, we know you're Frank. We talked to you about writing. And she said, you really want to talk to my husband. So she put Greg on the phone. He didn't know who we were. We, he then, what was I Greg think, doing at that time? He had moved to LA. I think he was doing Seinfeld at the time or for, had done the freelance, the parking spot on Seinfeld. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I He'd come that. off of SNL. Right. And he gave the most basic advice that now you would probably give people or you'd Google this. And it was, and Glenn wrote it down. It was move to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What else do we need to do? Like the, how do you become a writer? And just super helpful in that regard. And then we moved to LA and uh, never ran into him until King of the Hill. We, had our first meeting and Glenn, I think he may have brought the pad and said, it's your fault. We're here. But how did you get and the meeting? That, that it was just through our agent. There's this oh, new show okay. starting up. It's animated. Uh, I don't want to do animation. I know. I know. And it's non guild. Uh, yeah. And you're going to work in a full year for 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, this sounds terrible, but it's Greg it's Mike Judge, who's coming off of Beavis and Butthead, and you will learn a lot, whether it's a hit or not. And we thought, well, that's probably the best reason to, to take a job. There was nothing to see. There was no pilot, even. It was just a script. Right. There were no voices to listen to. It had been cast. So it was really just going under the assumption that, well, anytime you think something's going to be a hit, it never is. So let's take a job just based on... Uh, the people. And I don't think at that moment we had, there were, it wasn't like, do we take this or do we take this? It was, well, do we take this or do we just hang on? And but you I had no, maybe we hadn't. You didn't have any other so, credits before that, did you? No, we had done, we started off, oh. we did an episode of the George Carlin show. Oh, we okay. had done. You were right down uh, the hall from me. I didn't know that because I was a PA. Right well, we had done a, free, a freelance. Doesn't matter. You were in the Warner Brothers building, building 122 or something, because that's where it was. Well, here, no, because here's what our great George Carlin story is that we wrote this script for Sam Simon. Right. We turned it in. We get a call a few weeks later from the, someone at the studio who said, great episode. And we said, oh, you read the script? Well, read the script. It taped last night. It's <laughs> <laughs> we, we just a slap in the face. Yeah, we were not invited to our own taping. So we watched, we had a party, we watched it at home. Oh Look, our, first, our first big credit. That, but that's amazing too. How did you get, how did you pitch that? You're skipping all this good stuff. Uh, our agent just, back then, uh, we, were, we were new. I think we had a couple, we'd done a, a, a sketch show on Nickelodeon that got us in the guild, that got us an agent, and she just put us up for stuff. So one of them was this freelance of uh, of 
Carlin. And one of the other things is we went to pitch Sam, mm-hmm. who it was it was a hazard. Like he had uh, deadly sharp throwing stars on his table, so you'd go to like, oh, what's a paper? Don't touch those. They were razor sharp, and he also had a couple vicious Dobermans. In the yeah, office. I remember that. I remember that. Then he also had what we assumed was his story editor sitting at the table as we pitched him some story ideas. And then we left and realized, no, that was his next meeting. The next writer who's going to pitch story ideas sat at the table while we pitched ours. And then we left and he stayed and pitched his. That's a little unusual. It was a very, it was a, a very odd thing, but that worked out in the sense that we got the freelance. Your scripts must have been very good then. I mean, because yeah, I don't this, think they. I don't think so. It um, must have been if you were got an agent that easily and got to be able to pitch these shows. Well, the the agent. I don't know if it was easy. Well, what happened was what mo- what happens to most people is you come out and you think we need to find an agent. We need to get an agent. We're not going to get a job without an agent. Right. And then you meet all these agents. They love you. They love your stuff. And they say, if you "Get a job. I'm happy to sign you." Yes. And we realized. We're not going to get work, but just an agent. We need to get work somehow. And just by knowing people, talking to people, we wound up at MTV mm-hmm. doing a game show. What show was that? Uh, it was called Trashed. I think mm-hmm. it finally made it there. We just worked on the pilot and then got to know people on the on the hallway. We share. We were in. Uh, the MTV right. buildings and next door were some writers on this Nickelodeon show and a couple of the writers had just left and someone said, Oh, I hear they're, they're looking to hire. Wow. So we said, Hey, we, we've got sketches. Can we, can we meet? We, the, the executive right. producer read our stuff, met with us and said, yeah, I'll hire these guys. We went to our agent, the, the potential agent said, we just got offered a guild job. Do you want to represent us? You, there's no negotiation other than you say, yeah, I think I can get my boss to sign you. Sure. And that was it. And then we were in the guild. We were having fun writing and uh, you know, had, had credits. But I, I wouldn't say we necessarily knew how to write. We knew how to be funny and come up with gags. But mm-hmm. the idea of how do you write a scene, how do you write a script was – Right. was a little bit mysterious. But and so you I so you met Glenn, you were just you were, he was a coworker at when you yeah. were in your consulting firm. And then how exactly. did you both like did you so you never even dreamed as a kid of being a writer? It was not like how did this come out of where did this come from, this writing thing? I don't think I had any idea that people wrote for a living. Uh-huh. Like you didn't you'd watch shows and you wouldn't think, I don't, I don't really know what I was thinking. Like if I went to see a play on Broadway, I knew a human had written it, but right. there's something about TV where you would think, oh, right. I don't know. Those are characters who say these words and you don't yeah. think of 10 people in a room writing those words. So it wasn't until Simpsons and Seinfeld started breaking through that I started feeling like, whoa, there's TV here that, I'd want to write. And later I found out it was because people just a few years ahead of me at Harvard were writing those shows. So I was sort of thinking like, why does this feel like it's my sensibility without realizing I was kind of swimming in the same waters they had. You weren't on the lampoon then. No. You didn't have no idea that this is something. How did you know you were funny then? Like, you know, 
I mean, I, I think I always had a sense of humor and was known for being uh, funny slash maybe sometimes disruptive, but cleverly disruptive in school. Right. Like I was, I had done musical theater, so I was, okay. fam- like I, I wasn't like unfamiliar with entertainment. Right. But that was different from thinking, you know, that's something you can make a living at. And then it was right around that time where these articles started coming out about the number of people who had gone from the East Coast to L.A. and how many Letterman writers yeah. and SNL writers and Simpsons writer and Seinfeld and Frazier and Cheers and all these that opened up my eyes to, wait a minute, this is you can make a living. But when you I, went I just, to I had no idea when you quit your job. Then you came to LA. You'd had no job, right? You were what you were just like. I'm gonna live off my savings, or what would you do? Right. Yeah. We 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 saved up from. I, I think Glenn says he sent away for grad school applications his second day of work. Is how how quickly he knew that place wasn't <laughs> yeah, for him. Did. It just, <laughs> I was a little a little later in the process, but we started <laughs> writing at night. Like we found out, you got to write a spec script, right? And you guys oh, were roommates okay. too. Uh, no, no, we we weren't. But we oh, would okay. sometimes call in sick and then work on our right ourselves. Or Glenn would stay home and and turn the light on in my cubicle and put a right put my suit jacket over my chair. You know, oh it was all God. <laughs> our heart wasn't really in it, but we stayed and did the job and and saved up right so that we could move to L.A. And we didn't move out to L.A. like. I think we were we approached it the way we approached consulting, which was uh, th- this was my job as a consultant was I was given a list of doctors and it we had sent them a survey and it was go down this list, call each doctor's office and ask them if they filled out the survey. So it's like, hello, Dr. Levine. My name is John Abel. I'm calling on behalf of this and we've sent a survey. I was just wondering if you had a chance to, to and I just have to do that for hours. And the skill it taught me was just pick up the phone and call people. Right. So when we were thinking of moving to LA, it was, oh, you should call, like calling Suzanne. Right. Instead of saying, ah, she doesn't know me. It was just, okay. She's just like a doctor I'm calling. If she doesn't want to talk to me, she'll just not take the call. You weren't intimidated at all? You, you, You weren't intimidated at all? I don't think I knew to be intimidated. We were in Boston at the time. Uh huh. We didn't you weren't surrounded by people who had this dream of going to Hollywood and then came home with their tail between their legs and said, Oh, it's awful out there. It was that place seems fun and sunshine. And I knew people, uh, people from school, people, friends of my brothers had lived, were were out there. So when we showed up, it felt like there was a a group. There was a, a, you weren't alone. It was there other people here pursuing the dream but not so many that you felt like there's no chance this is gonna happen like we were i don't know if cocky is the word but because we didn't know any better we were just right. like oh it's gonna work out and it we're did gonna, we're gonna it didn't, get how job. long did it take for you to get work when you moved out here it sounds like a fa- it was fast well we moved out in september and we got the game show started in december and then i think Amazing. by the following summer we were on the nickelodeon show what show was that? What was that called? It was called Roundhouse. I don't know that one. Uh, Bruce Bruce Gowers, who just passed away two days ago, who did The Queen. 
the okay. Bohemian Rhapsody video. He was the director of it. Oh wow! So there's a little a little roundhouse trivia. It was really fun. It was a lot of in living color writers. Wow! Between gigs, were there. So it had uh, dancing and original music, and it was a sketch show for tweens on on SNCC. SNCC is that what it was? Really? It's yeah. so funny because this show here was on Nick at Night, which was supposed to be not Nickelodeon, and Nick at Night. No, it's different. Racing. But it's not because it Nick. I don't remember if Nick at Night started at eight p.m. or nine p.m. or whatever. But Seifert, my my partner, Seifert used to say, "But it's the it's the babysitting channel up until you know eight oh one, and then it becomes racy." But the parents don't know that, <laughs> right? No one's turning. <laughs> yeah, so the, we got a lot of Nick hate was from Saturday night. Saturday night Nick is a whole other ball. Game. Oh, is that what that is? Snick. Yeah, Snick. I guess they could have also done it Sunday without changing the name. Yeah, but it was Saturday, right. or Wednesdays, Wednesdays or Thursdays. Wick. Anything with any day Nick. that ends with an S. That's true. Wednesday, Wednesdays, Nick. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. I, that's why we're not in the marketing department. My but, point, though, is by the time we got to King of the Hill, yeah, we had had we had worked on a, a show uh, that was real old school in its joke telling like real strong setup three a page right. boom 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 then we worked on another show that was very emotional where it was single woman in the city kind of show and that was it wasn't not funny but it was as a writer there it was wait a minute i'm supposed to tell a story that isn't just the situation of situation comedy it wasn't just the character loses her driver's license and has to go to the DMV and this crazy stuff happens. It mm -hmm. was thinking about the, the internal life. And they're like, right. okay, that's an interesting way to... But then when did you learn actually how to write like story, a story structure? When did you, is that King of the Hill? I think so. The other, the, the show that was very joke heavy, the other thing you learn on a joke heavy show is, is the, the tricks, the, Okay, someone comes in and says something, and then at the end of the scene, someone repeats it in a callback, and right, right. Then people laugh, and the music plays, and you dissolve slowly to the next scene. And they're they're like um, they're like weapons. They could be in that. They could be used for good or evil. Right, right. So by the time though we got to King of the Hill, I remember pitching the very first week to Greg, and you just have no idea what this show you're thinking the simpsons so okay i remember we pitched something like dale's an exterminator so he tents a big house and then people think it's a circus and start showing up at it i like that and greg's like oh, that's a little probably by season eight that would have that's been season eight yeah, idea. That's great. but in the beginning was, i think that's a little not observational enough and it's sort of like well what do you mean to Define right. observational was the, the the question. Like, how do you find comedy out of human, actual human behavior? Right. In the way, how do you observe what a person would do in a in a real life situation? And no one had really done that in animation, which was, yeah. the, I think, the brilliance of Mike and Greg was to say, well, what if you take this style that's associated with unreality? and right. give it more reality than anything else you've seen in animation. And that's what was unusual because we used to say that in many ways, just uh, uh, King of the Hill 
was less of a cartoon than than just shoot me. I mean, <laughs> just shoot me was more of a sure. cartoon, you know. It was, but and it's unusual because you'd say, I, I even back then, I was like, well, why is this show animated? Like, because you no one's eyes popping out, no one's running on air, you know, no one's doing any Daffy Duck stuff. But I guess it was just because you could shoot it like a movie and it could be real, but you didn't have that. You didn't have the budget. Well, because you're probably be- overthinking it because it was just the real reason is they had to deal with Mike and Mike's an animator and this is no. what he wanted to do. <laughs> I guess so. But and usually, then, you say, like, why is it animated? Like, you know, because, than, yeah, that's, but that's why, all. why, why is this? It's because, because Mike wanted, he saw, you no, know, that was his thing. And then he did. And, and that's great. That's as, that's as good a reason. And how, any. how much was, and I've heard stories, but I think people want to hear this. How involved was Mike, like literally on a day-to-day basis in those early years with the show? Huh. I can't say I know the full scope of it because i'm sure he was more involved in the production but he wasn't in the writer's room i mean i know like no because he was living in texas right so he would come in and then we would do the story retreats maybe or we go to texas and and meet with him or he would come in or we'd go to his house um it it was greg on the day-to-day and then i don't really know what the the communication between the two of them was right um, I, I'm pretty sure Mike's deal was I have a life in Texas and I don't want to move to LA and do this grind because he had done that grind for Beavis and Butt and the Beavis and Butt had movie. Right, right. So I think that's what Greg took on. But yeah, uh, but he, I, I, it was a great combination. He would have notes though. He, uh, I remember, you know, even on uh, on, the, on the audio tracks, you could sometimes hear him say, "I'm like, oh, that, that that line's not right." He would tweak a line or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you get his little. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I'm, not gonna... <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Um, but but then okay, so then you guys rose up to the ranks because only in five or six years you were running the show, which is a pretty fast climb to be able to run a TV show after only that short amount of time is kind of crazy almost you know i think we were and meanwhile it feels like oh we're not getting anywhere in this town and some of that mm-hmm. is because you do a show we were we've probably done a year of it worked on it a year before it even premiered so right. you're putting all this into it and you don't know if it's going to be a hit and then the surprise was it it was doing really well and then you have no time to enjoy it because you're halfway through starting season two it was it was both really exciting and just crazy exhausting and it was yeah like 3 a.m and that's sort of fun sometimes it, when you're young it's in okay. the beginning where it's hey it's like college we're right. all hanging out we're just being funny and then you start dating and your partner's saying what time are you gonna be home i don't know yeah. well what time do you think i really i don't know Someone could come into this room in two minutes and say, we're good, go home. Or someone could come in in two minutes and say, I just got Mike's notes. We need to start over. You don't know. And that's a, when you're a staff writer, not so hard because you just do what you're told. When, as you move up and take on more responsibility, it, it definitely became less fun. Aspects of it were fun. Mm -hmm. Directing actors was really fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, working with editing and storyboard artists and the animation directors fun but the more stuff like 
can I go to a dentist appointment on Wednesday? Let me see. What's the staff? What room am I in today? Like I, I left consulting because I didn't want to be a, a manager. And that's what part of show running is that. And for us, that was the, that wasn't the fun part. The fun part, as yeah. we say, Glenn and I would note, you rise up and become a showrunner based on the strength of your writing. And then you get to a position where you don't have time to write anymore. Oh, it's not only that people, cause I people, they reach out to me all the time. You know, that I want to be a showrunner. It's like, I just wanted to be a writer like because to be a show it's like you just said you none of us become comedy writers because we want to be managers like that's not and when you're a showrunner that's what you're doing you are managing yeah. other people and uh and, and we're not equipped we're not prepared for it and we don't necessarily even want to do that and you know it's a, it's a, it's a hard leap right and it was it was definitely challenging also because you're putting all this work in, and then you realize this isn't even my show this is yeah. greg and yeah. mike's vision and you're just trying to fulfill their vision right like i can see running my if i were running my own show saying i love this idea and this is my baby and i'm going to protect it and i just i want to be the auteur here i want to see my vision through but uh so much of show running isn't that at all it's it's just uh, greg would describe it as it's sort of like um pottery where you would make a pot put it on the shelf and all right, what's the next one? Sometimes they break, sometimes they're not quite formed, but you don't have time. You got to get to the next, right. Get to make another pot. But do you have, and I want to get to your film career, which is very impressive, but do you have, did you have any like eyes to go back and do any kind of television, even creating your own show? We, after King of the Hill, we, we wrote a few pilots. We were at Fox and writing pilots and it was a weird time in TV where every year Fox would say, mm -hmm. We don't want single camera shows. We need we need multicam. We need to pair them with whatever right. hit they had there. We need another, we need to pair this. So we'd write a multicam and then they would only pick up single camera shows. And I think that happened two or three years. Or what? Yeah. What's so going on? So we started realizing I, I think we were kind of spoiled by King of the Hill. It was it was just creatively it's just an amazing show and so fun yeah. to write those characters and work with those actors and work with that staff that after that it was i don't it's hard to just go and do sitcoms mm -hmm. like i enjoyed the form but i couldn't see myself spending 10 more years doing that and it felt like the uh the air was coming out of that format then how did you how did you jump into features well, it started because King, as I mentioned, King of the Hill was not a guild show in the first years. Mm -hmm. So we're doing it. We're in our second or third year, and we realize we're going to lose our health insurance. What? What? Do, I mean, like it was a very adult-sounding realization yeah. of oh, health insurance. What I, I hadn't even th been thinking of because when you're in the writers' guild, it's amazing. By the time I was <laughs> 23, I had health insurance. But you had help insurance through the Animators Guild, though through TAG. Uh, we weren't animated. Animation. We were no. It was we not unaffiliated. By anybody. Oh no! Wow, I didn't know that. So we said to our agent, "We need, we need either freelance episodes, mm -hmm. or we need to write a feature." And she said, "Well, do you have a feature spec?" And we said, "No." And then, and to her credit, she said, 
there's this director. He's been hired to direct a reboot of Freddy or of Friday. It was Freddy versus Jason. Mm -hmm. And he loves King of the Hill. And basically it was, can you give him a fun, fun, he's got an idea for story, fun characters that he can then kill. Like uh, it was right around Scream had come out. So there was this, the the birth of horror comedy. Right. So he said, yeah, well, we can do that. And we we met him, we got along, he loved the show. We, we loved working with him. So we wrote this script, which then, which then didn't get produced, but it was, oh, this, Features is kind of like writing King of the Hill, but longer. Right. You just kind of write King of the Hill and then you keep writing and keep right. writing. And then you have a hundred pages of King of the Hill instead of 22. But right. the three act structure is similar. And the idea of thinking about a character and how do you write a character, we realize it's kind of more cinematic than episodic television. Like the things we were learning were more applicable to writing features than writing sitcoms at that point. Yeah. So when our television deal was nearing its close and we were thinking, do we renew it? Do we throw our hats out there as, as showrunners for hire? And we thought, you know, let's, let's write, maybe we can write some more features. And we just started getting some rewrites, <laughs> doing some originals. Mm-hmm. And you can start making a, a decent living writing movies and never get made. Oh, for sure. At least you could then. I don't know if it's now. Yeah, yes, you then, you, then you could, but it was super mm -hmm. frustrating yeah. because everything would be about to go and then there would be a reason mm -hmm. it wouldn't go. Yeah. And there were none, none of those reasons were under your control and you would you do a great job and everyone would love it. And then, oh, this movie just came out. Yeah. Basically the same premise. So sorry. Yeah. And that's when we had been meeting this, this fantastic exec named Christine Belson, who was then at Henson. Mm -hmm. And we were huge Muppet fans. Right. And she brought us in and we totally hit it off. And she said, I want to do a Muppet Kung Fu movie. Uh -huh. And we thought, oh my God, yeah, that would be so great. A Muppet, yes, sign us up for that. And we said, but you know, we read that, that DreamWorks is doing this Jack Black kung fu kung fu panda movie and she said oh those movies take forever i don't think it's I, I wouldn't worry about that so then we don't hear from her for a while we're worried what's going on then we get a call from her okay so i moved over to dreamworks and we're looking for writers from kung fu panda wow and we said oh okay so it was just a case where it started off simple enough they asked us to come in for just two weeks of consulting to see what they had underway and talk about the story because it was in a well, rough but they have been... a different dreamworks has a whole different system over there so what, what do you mean consulting because i know they work very differently from other studios well so there had been writers who well, kind of what happens you know king, king of the hill the simpsons those shows very writer driven right it doesn't have time you don't have time to be anything other than writer driven so the animators right. are given the script and the audio Right. And they're so draw this. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, 
Join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammon.com slash watchlist. In feature animation, DreamWorks especially, they may take that script and they'll take tens, the first 10 scenes of act the first half of the movie and give it to 10 different storyboard artists who will take that and read it and say, I see what this scene is doing, but maybe I can do it this way. And they will draw something and write it and animate and, and storyboard it and often record the dialogue themselves. And it's sort of like, uh, almost like, uh, what is it? 32 short films about Glenn Gould where you end up with these almost mini movies in the beginning of a movie, anyway, like at the start of a development process where you would watch this movie and say, okay, that Poe is different from this Poe, who's different from that Poe. And you watch it and you think this doesn't make any sense, but I can start to see a story in there and then they'll do it iteratively. So then you know that scene there, that moment, I really understood who the character was. So more of that moment. So by way of saying, you may have someone who came in and wrote a script, but they might be long gone at this point because now it's been torn up, it's storyboarded. Now you're walk working off transcripts where they've written down what's on screen and that's what you're rewriting off of. So by the time we came in, there was uh, like a movie-ish. Like you could, there was something in black and white you could watch. Mm -hmm. that everyone knew wasn't necessarily coherent. But the point isn't coherence. The point is wh what jumps out at you? Like we watched it and said, oh, I think what you're doing is it's kind of like a Cinderella story, right? He's the guy in the beginning who wants to go to the Kung Fu ball mm -hmm. and can't go. And then the prince points at him and then he goes on this thing. And now the bad guy's coming for him and he doesn't know. And is he the chosen one or isn't he the chosen one? It's like those are... Like now it's, it feels a little glib for me to say that as if it were obvious. It, it was not, right. it's, it was not, it's not obvious. Was not. It's a, right. You're sitting there thinking, is it this story? No, maybe it's the story. Some of it is, there are, there are two, Jack, Jack has, Jack Black has two kind of two great archetypical, archetypical characters. One is the high fidelity, uh, like the jerk. Yeah. Who deep down is suffering from low self-esteem. Right. And then he has the friendly guy who deep down is suffering from low self-esteem. Right. So some of the the production of the, the development of Kung Fu Panda was which, which Jack is in our movie? Is he the guy who's chosen to be this Kung Fu guy and then realizes, oh my God, this is great. Now I don't have to work anymore. Now I can just go to the palace and hang out and relax and and live it up until he finds out there's a responsibility. So there was some of that version of the movie. Then there's the guy who's wishes more than anything he can be the kung fu master, but knows because of he's a big panda that's impossible because pandas don't do kung fu. And then his dream comes true, and then he has to. You know that's what the movie ended up being. But when you started seeing that character in the opening reel, you'd say, "Whoa, I I want to I I want to know more right. about that." And that's so sort of the magic to, of these. You had to the make time. sense of it, but see, yeah. that's what I'm I'm curious though, because 
for me, it seems counterintuitive. It feel it feels like you're putting the cart ahead of the horse. It's like, you know, I wonder if it was that. Did you feel the same way? Because usually, you know, okay, we have an idea. We come. We have a write. The writers come up with a, th- a thread, you know, through line, and there's a story. And- well, it's it's inefficient for sure. Uh-huh. But I think you can look at animated movies for the most part as a genre and say, for the most part, they're really well constructed. Right. And I think this is this is why, because if a writer's going to, it's very hard to create a great movie off of six drafts, even eight drafts, 10 drafts, mm-hmm. and, and just see it on paper and say, yeah, that's going to work. Because no one knows how to read a script. I see. Like, even as a professional writer, I don't think I could read a script and say, this is going to be an amazing movie. You can say, this is a great script, right. but is it going to be an amazing movie? I don't know. Animation, right. you're making the movie as you're writing the movie. So it's so not you, it makes theoretical, sense, is this going to be good? It's, ah, I, I see that moment. I see Poe and his father right. having that moment where Poe is afraid to tell his dad what he wants to do with his life. I that, see. That's so working. That so how do we build on that? Right. That makes sense to me. So it's very collaborative with you and the animators then. Oh, yeah. The storyboard team, the directors, the producer, the actors. Uh-huh. It was it, very different from TV animation. Right. Sounds very different. And like our, our, one of our first, uh, the first moment we realized that was the producer said, I, I want you to sit in a room with this guy, the storyboard artist, and talk about the scene and what it could be. So we sat with him and we worked line by line. We workshopped it and said, it could be this, it could be this. Yeah, I could draw this, do this. It's like, great, we're going to write it up. We wrote it up, gave it into him. Three weeks later, we go to watch the scene. It's nothing at all we discussed. I went to the producer. What what a a thing. She said, yeah, I know, but I know he's kind of out there. And I wanted to see what he would would take your stuff and give you, you know, if if all you want if all you're expecting is the best version of what you've already done, you're closing off the chance that you'll be surprised by something. Right. So that's cool. On the other hand, sometimes in their scenes where you just say, can you just please do the, the pages? Right. Like we've thought a lot about this. We understand. And there's some scenes in that first movie, which went pretty much from our pages to the final version. Cause they were just compact they made sense. There wasn't right. a lot of room. There wasn't a need for a lot of exploration. It was, okay, that works. Let's just get that right. going and move on to the, the other. So they brought you in under contract for a couple of weeks just to see how you would respond to the animators. Yeah, we had a, after, well, no, to see what we would, it wasn't a trial. It was, they thought in 10 days we would give them an outline that they could work off of. But even still, you they, they knew that they would probably go off the, the reservation and you'd be required to yeah, but that's, collaborate more. But I think that happened a lot. It wasn't, it was more of then when we pitched our take on it to Jeffrey Katzenberg and he said, great, when you, when can you guys start writing? Uh-huh. And then okay. the other people lo- looked at each other like, oh, I guess we, I guess we should probably get that, put that deal in place. So then we wrote a draft mm-hmm. and then they took the draft and then started going through that process of tearing it apart. And at, at which point they realized it would probably be helpful to have us around. And 
I think it what helped is that coming from TV, we we knew storyboards. We knew how to read storyboards. We knew what happens in an editing room and how actors perform. Right. So we came to it with production skills or an understanding of the process that that helped us come in and say, oh, I think you can, you can cut a few frames there and actually know what we were talking about. At, at the same time, the, the big difference was television is, it's a, it's a sprint, as you know. Yeah. It's, you need to get this done because the actors are going to be here at 10 a.m. to read this and record this. So you need something for them. So we were approached feature animation. We got to get this done. We got to get this done. And then what you realize is you, that's the exact wrong way to do it because you, you get it all done now. Then when stuff starts changing, you've already written stuff that's it's obsolete before anyone has seen it. It's right. like animation is best. I think it's like it's a marathon of sprints where we need this scene has to go into production and Jack is coming in Thursday to record this. We need these three pages done. All right, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. Great. Now in six weeks, we're going to need sequence 1500 going into rough layout. So that's the next one. I know it's- and, But it's you're working off crazy. an outline. You know what the story is, right? You do and you don't. Isn't that, I know that's a weird thing to say, but you, how many, I can't tell you the number of boards there that would say, Big battle, like act three, big battle, uh, you know, wrap up epilogue. Is this the way and, animation movies were done like at Disney back in the day? Is this where they're getting this from? It's possible. I, I think what, where it comes from is that what's your expense? Your greatest expense of time and therefore money is the animator, the person at Disney drawing the cell. At DreamWorks, that final, the final editor moving frame by frame, that takes a lot of time and it is such a skill. And the people who do it are so brilliant that it's not like you can say, we need six more animators who can capture Poe. It's, there's this guy, Dan, Dan Wagner, just a brilliant animator. And he was the one who could give right. Poe his soul. Right. So you only get so much Dan, so you don't want to give Dan 10 scenes to do and say, we're not sure if these are all going to work. But so you're not giving the animators the scenes until they're ready. At the same time, the animators can only do so much at the same time. So, uh, so while they're working on one scene, there's no reason to have the other scenes done. So it's sort of like you back, you back up into the process and you'd say, well, if they can only animate these this much now, well, let's keep working on those other scenes and make them better and keep playing with them until it's too late. And then we'll, we'll turn them right. over. So you really, you have the time to get it right. And if you said, no, let's rush that. We, we got to get all right now. Th there's no reason to. It sounds like this, because knowing how you guys ran King of the Hill, it sounds like this is like the perfect fit for you because you guys would often rewrite the hell out of a scene, trying different ways and just experimenting. That was, I... I Think, thank you. Uh, I think it was it, it is a good fit for us to to have said, okay, we've written that scene. There, there are a lot of exercises that are, are kind of cool that you can use, which is stuff like, well, let's write the opposite. Right. You have someone come into a scene who's really excited. By, well, what if they came into the scene feeling the other way and that you flipped? You kind of have that 
the opportunity to explore more. Right. And then and know so, that it, there's no punishment for it because the whole point is to experiment. Right. That's the point. So do they keep you under, how does it work? Do they keep you under contract at that point, DreamWorks, to do other movies? Or are you constantly pitching them to get assigned other projects? Or no, we had, we had a, it was great in that it started off, I think it was, we were there four days a week. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time we were in person, then it would be three, then after six months, three days a week. As there's less to change, they need less of you. So then it was two days a week, then one day a week. And then at the same time, we were doing other rewrites at other studios. And I think it was when we got down to one day a week, they said, you know, we have this movie, Monsters vs. Aliens. Would you want to work on right. that? So you were so never exclusive. we went to you were Panda always... One Day, Monsters, four days. All right. So you were always kind yeah, of... always uh, show by show. I see. You're always jumping. Right. So yeah. it's never... And then, and it, it was nice because, you know, you don't want to... We liked it because it let us take the projects that spoke to us, that right. looked like they were going to be fun. While also, like the great thing about Panda was uh, it was a hit. Came out, it was a hit. And when you've written a, a movie that's a hit, people want you to write their movies. Right. So, it, and, and also people want you to write movies similar to the movie that was just a hit. Right. So it didn't matter that we had done King of the Hill or and other stuff. It was, oh, they, they wrote Kung Fu Panda. They should write the Chipmunks movies. We'll offer that to them. Right, right. So uh, Talking Animals, oh, here's another Talking Animal. So did you have to, after then Kung those Fu Panda, are, did you have to pitch? When you go on for other assignments, are they pretty much yours? because of, Or do you have to pitch? Do you have to win that assignment? It's always a little... Of both, I mean, look, we were ve we were very lucky in that they weren't bake offs where yeah. six people are coming in to pitch this. It was, I think that the Chipmunks people really like Kung Fu Panda. It was just a rewrite. Can you come? It was over Christmas, uh -huh. so I think that that definitely helped that they found uh, us saying, "Yeah, we'll give up your, our holiday to to write these pages for you." Right. But then the the luck was these were these became franchises. So then they come to you for Kung Fu Panda two, and Kung Fu Panda three, and Chipmunks three, right? And and then we through people we knew at DreamWorks got to SpongeBob. So then you do SpongeBob, the second SpongeBob movie that led to the third SpongeBob movie. I didn't even mention those because that's not even on your uh, IMDb. We'll have to update that when we get off the the Zoom. Yeah, we'll what? Update your page. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know you did the. Uh... I didn't know you did that. And so, okay, because that's a big deal. Because I, I remember, you know, when Seaver and I, we did we did a couple of movies. We sold a couple of movies. They didn't get made. We sold a couple of movies. And then we were, all, were brought into, um, you know, we didn't realize they were bake-offs. We didn't, so we, we pitched for, you know, a couple of big companies. I don't have to mention what they are. And and we we're told, yeah, you got the, you got it, you got it. And then only to discover that someone else got it. We didn't even know other people were trying to get, like, yeah. we had no idea. And that's a lot. You're talking about months and months of heartbreaking, wasted work. And then the project never even got made. So, but you don't really it's have to true. deal with that because of your level, you know? Yes, yes and no. The the no is if they're, if you've worked with them on Kung Fu Panda 1, 2, and 3, there's a good chance they'll come to you for Kung Fu Panda 4. Right. So... And if you hit it off, yeah, they may say come in with some ideas and they like an idea. So they're not just saying, 
here's the deal before you've pitched anything. So there were meetings. But you know, they know you can deliver. That's kind of the main thing. Right. If it's people who you don't really know, then yeah, it's they're rebooting this franchise and they're hearing takes. And what we've learned, actually the hard way is if you're going to put yourself in that situation, you want to put as, I don't want to say as little work as possible. You want to, you want to do the right amount of work. That's the, the best way where but it's, we've it's gone so in and we pitched. Know. I know, but we've gone in where we've pitched, you pitch for 20 minutes and then you realize by the second sentence, you said the words they don't want to hear. Like, yeah. oh, that's not the kind of movie they want to do at all. Right. And we've learned a better strategies to go and say, here, I understand you want to do a, a silly putty movie. I'm, I'm totally making this up, but here's, you could go this way where silly putty, it's a revenge story where it's a John Wick meets silly putty. Right. Or it's the origin story of how a serious putty became silly putty because of a, a, a family tragedy and he's the clown who laughed through to you. <laughs> you know, each of these is an archetype movie. Right. And then it's, I don't know if any of those strike, well, we kind of do like that. It's like, okay, okay, look, we'll come back to you with that. It's interesting because you set the terms then over the picture because that's not usually how we would go in. We would, here's, the, here's the take. Here's our take. And then, you know, you could be, you're, you could be completely off. I didn't know you had a choice. Well, this is a new, this is a way. new, this is a new uh, realization. Uh-huh. Uh, having, because, you know, kind of what's happened is after doing a lot of these movies, you start to think, okay, I like this. I, I know what I'm doing. What's something I don't really know how to do that I haven't done before? Mm-hmm. And that's the type of movie where a person isn't necessarily going to say, hmm, get me the guys who did Kung Fu Panda. Right. So you got to hustle for those a little more. And those were the ones where I think we were over-preparing for many of them by saying, we're going to blow them away with the le- attention to detail. Yeah, And especially in a Zoom era where – you blow them away with attention to detail. Their thing is, I just need three sentences to bring the boss. And, really? and it's hard because as storytellers, you sometimes feel like I can't, I don't, I'm sorry. I cannot pitch this idea unless I understand the character arcs yeah, and right. the, the three acts. And you think, you know, maybe sometimes you can go in and say, and then in the third act, there's a huge battle in which the forces of evil have to go against the forces of I, see, I'd be worried about pitching something that I didn't know how to actually break. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know. Yes, I know. I, I you eventually you just kind of have to have confidence and say, you know what, we'll figure something out. We'll it's hard. Something. It's really hard to even at this point. Uh, we'll go into a rewrite and say, what is that third act set piece? I don't know, but we'll 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 figure it out. And it's in the back of your head thing. If I don't get that, I don't yeah, know. right. Wow. And then one day it'll be like, oh, wait a minute. Well, what if this happened? Because we just, like, it will it will come to you. And I think it's it's a little, maybe this is the animation experience. It's a little <laughs> foolish to even think I know what the perfect act three is before I've actually written acts one and two. Yeah, but you And instead you rely on it. your instincts and you your experience. something. You want to, it's so, I'm, I'm telling you how to do it. I have no idea how to do it. No, but, but, but of um, course you will build to it. You know you need to build to something, but you may not know the ingredients yet. Like you'll be writing something and say, well, I'll give you a good example. In, in Kung Fu Panda, we wound up having the, this 
Poe's big realization mm-hmm. that can I give spoilers after 15 years after movies open? I believe I believe so. Okay. So Poe's opened the scroll and it's blank. And he realizes he's failed. And his father says to him, it's okay. You can be a noodle old man just like me. And by the way, it's time I told you the secret ingredient of my soup. And the secret ingredient is nothing. There is no secret ingredient. It was just to make something special. You just have to believe it's special. And really, that was just a joke about his father, who mm-hmm. in the first scene, we wrote that, oh, that'd be funny if he has a secret ingredient soup. And uh, later we find out there is no secret ingredient. It's just a marketing gimmick. And it wasn't until he got to the later scene where someone, I think this uh, Bill Dimashki is his name. He's, he was then the executive of DreamWorks. And he said, I, I, I like what you're doing there. You're kind of making a comparison between the scroll being blank and the soup not really having the, spe- the specialness it's, that's into here. And we said, that's not at all what we're... Is that what we're doing? That is what we're doing. You know, right. I, I don't know if we consciously did that or everyone working on the movie was putting that stuff in there. But once, so if we had started with what is it, right. we never would have gotten there. But like, I mean, it's funny we talk about ingredients, but we had these ingredients of the father, the soup. <clears throat> we had this scroll that was blank and it took a whole bunch of time and thinking for a, a person to look at that with fresh eyes and say, I think, You've given yourself the moment you need to do the rest of the movie. Do you think this is how they tell their movies at, at Pixar? They have a different process. Do you think that I I don't I don't know all I've all I know of the process there is they seem to draw on uh, tablecloths. Is that oh, really that I don't know that was at there's some uh, documentary where they had this this famous tablecloth that's uh-huh. amazing where it was they were the brain trust was meeting and they said well here's some movies I think we could do. It was, what if toys come to life? <laughs> what if bugs right. come to life? What if, uh, but beyond that, I don't really know their process. It's probably somewhat similar. So interesting. And when you work, you know, you're, I know I'm, I'm jumping around, but your partner, Glenn, he doesn't, he lives not in LA. So how do you guys do what do you work in on Zoom? Is that how you guys? Do yeah, we, oh, we've been Skyped for, for years Skype. and years. Just, just audio. Just uh, I'm, audio. A, I'm a Skypist. And I'll tell why you why. Just, uh, yeah, go on. And why just audio? I'm a Skypist because Skype lets you Skype out. So you can call people's cell phones. So if our agent or lawyer or an executive or anyone, we need them to take a meeting, he just stays in my ear and says, all right, let me patch him in. And then you can okay. call. Uh, also, we started before Zoom. Right. So we're, And why no video? Yeah. Is initially, it was for bandwidth reasons. It was laggy at Skype at, at one point. And Glenn was out in the sticks and didn't have because uh, you could have used a cell a phone, you know that Skype without video is a phone. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of other things we could do, but we realized I don't need to see him staring at me. I I don't I and, I I'm not like the old married couple. We're okay with the silence. And do you when you're going like this and you're not hearing anything? Are you on Final Draft Collaborator? Is that what you're doing or what? no? Well, I know work? there's a lot of there's a lot of that you could we could do, and if it's re- really important, we might say, "Oh, let's like now we outline on on Google Docs, okay, instead of sending Word documents back and forth." Is this are you working on Tuesday's version? No, this is Thursday's. Wait, now you now you can see it, and that's useful. But I I feel like 
staring. There are two ways to write. One is staring at the words and the other is staring at the sky. And one day, some days I feel like doing one, Glenn feels like one, sometimes the other. Like, I don't want to even know what's there. I just want to but who's coming up with stuff. Uh, and well, hopefully, Glenn. There have been times where we'll come up with a whole thing and then say, "You got that?" I thought you were typing. <laughs> so we we usually say, "You're, you're typing, right?" Yeah, yeah. Oh it's my like, god! Oh, god I'm trying to remember it. That's a rare, rarely happens. That's pretty funny. Uh, we also lately have been doing more. There's nothing. Writing is harder than rewriting. Uh-huh. So sometimes we'll just say, you do just the worst, ugliest pass of those three scenes. I'll do these three scenes. Then let's stick them together and move on. And then it might be, we're going through this process now in a script where it's been uh, two months since we started some of these scenes. And now you look back at it and say, oh, okay, now I really understand what this scene wow. has to be. And you're glad you didn't spend forever on those those opening scenes. How many hours a day can you work, you know, on King of the Hill? Let's talk about that. But how many hours a day do you guys generally put in before you're fried? I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know. We, we used to be fairly rigorous about, say, a 10 to 6, which in, with an hour for lunch. That's a long day, though. It was a long day. But some of that is chit-chatting and talking even to people. still... Even still, it's like I find, you know, after, you know, 10 to maybe two-ish or three-ish, you're like, you're looking at your watch, you're like, because you're, you know, you're not, you're, you're not your best. But on TV, you have to keep going. But right. on features, you don't. Well, we, I, I think that's true. But I also think we're, our consulting bones were, well, they'll never fault us for lack of effort. Right. Just kind of that, let's just grind right. it out. And then as you get more experience, you get older, you realize all right, well, if we're going to spend the first half hour just chatting about stuff and email, why don't we start at 1030? Or we don't have a lot to do today, so I'm going to go see my son's play. And and, and right. you, you kind of realize that you know, Greg used to say to the say this to us all the time at King of the Hill is that if you're if you have if you're working so hard, you're not living your life, you have no life to write about. Right. That's true. And so I think as one of the, I believe that Glenn and I now believe in taking advantage of one of the greatest things about being a screenwriter, which is that your time is your own. Yeah, yeah. You want to, hey, I'm going to go somewhere to go see my kids do something, my son compete in whatever it is, or this play, or or that right. without feeling like, oh, I can't, I got to ask the showrunner if I can take the day off. and right. Or should, I don't know if I should make a dentist appointment at three o'clock or get my hair cut at three o'clock because because that's part of the work day. And to say, you know what, you can get your hair cut in the middle of the day. You, that That's okay. You'll get the work done. And to your point, realizing that eight hours is a lot of writing. It, it, it Six is. Six hours is a lot of writing. And that yeah. you can actually get a lot of writing done in less. Yeah. Or sometimes no writing. And you sometimes you're not feeling it, but you work through it, and then it comes. Like I, I think that's one of the things I, I truly believe in is that it's a it's ridiculous to think I need to wait for inspiration. Yeah, I, I you can't. You just the to me the mark of a professional writer is you sit down when you're not inspired and when you're not mm-hmm. feeling funny, 
And when something horrible has happened and you're totally not in the mood to be writing a comedy and then you just turn it on uh -huh. and you start writing. And I developed the ability to write anywhere. I can write on a plane. I can write in a coffee shop. I can write in a waiting room, in a doctor's office, sitting in an airport floor. Uh -huh. And just put in the earphones and not, I don't have a ritual of a place I have to be or a drink I need in front of me or an amount of noise and any of that. And it's to treat it like, in a way, it's a craft. It's not a mysterious right. thing where this, these lines come to you. You just, you got to grind it out sometimes. So at this point though, you're pretty much, you're, you're good with features. You don't really don't have any ambition to even write a pilot well this TV. weird thing has happened which is while we've been buried in features uh, tv has exploded and is better than it's ever been right so there's that part of us that says well wait a minute i don't have to do 24 of these like we were doing 24 king of the hills a year yeah that's a lot and that's an insane amount of work and some of these shows are doing eight yep and they're amazing they're and made, you, yeah. it's and you can get into it and we could create and we could do all this. Now, of course, the problem is that's, uh, if, I don't I'm you, you're more familiar with that. Wait, okay, so wait a minute, what do you get paid to write eight episodes? Okay, so and they can you also... decide, do you take time away from feature gigs to, to do that? Like that's one of the calculus, calculi, but I think more of it is just, busy in features so do we have time for tv maybe what's when you have a come up with an idea and say oh that'd be a great show right we'll write it down and then say maybe this is something i don't want to say never because it just seems like it's it's now is it just fun yeah well it just am depends. i wrong it totally depends on it just depends you know because sometimes you'll be on a show you know the writing steps are getting smaller they're doing these mini room things, which fortunately I haven't ever had to do, but I've heard horror stories about these mini rooms. Um, are the is it the number of people in the room is mini, or are the rooms themselves very small? It's it, uh, it's a closet full of ten people. No, it's it's um it's it's before the show gets a pickup. So they'll say we'll put together a mini room. You guys will break ten stories, but because you are not, we're not producing any of these. We'll only pay you your writing fee, so you're not getting a producing fee. And we all know. Most of your money is producing fee because right. that way they can pay you less into your health and pension. <laughs> it's, a, it's a scam that they pull in and uh, it, now it really screws you. So, but I've, I've never had to deal with that, but that's, wow. that's the problem with the mini room. So I, mean, I do, I do feel first of all, super fortunate that when like on the one hand, Oh, I missed, <laughs> we've been in features and there's been this golden age. On the other hand, it sounds like things are, have been, what the stories I hear, it's really, it's hard. Oh yeah, that, it's definitely hard. Because I, I can sit here and bitch about the 24 episodes we did and how exhausting is, but 24 times your episode fee was a good year. That's a good year. And now you'll be on a show for eight or 10 episodes and now you have to try to jump and get another show or sell a pilot. And what if you don't, you know, it's, it's definitely harder. Yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, believe me, I had the years of where you say, oh, I wish, I didn't have to spend back when we had um, pilot season where you would mm -hmm. say, I wish I didn't have to spend March through April, June, whatever it was of every year, not knowing what job I was mm -hmm. going to have next yeah. year. And then you get on King of the Hill and it's, oh, 
well, yeah. I know what job I'm going to have for a while, at least. That was a, it was a great, mm-hmm. it's a great feeling. Yeah. But they, they all have their pluses and minuses. It was the, then I'd see friends who get two months off or three month hiatus knowing they were coming back to a job. And I'd say, oh, they're doing 22 episodes in eight months. And then they come yeah. back and do another. I'm doing 24 in 12 months. With well, we maybe got get you well, three weeks, weeks three weeks off, yeah, which was not. I thought that was cool. I was like, wow, I could actually take you know, we could plan a vacation. I don't know, you it, know, I, I, yeah, that was that's when you, you start to feel like, oh, this is a job. What yeah. this is supposed to be fun and entertainment. And what do you mean? Oh. I got to put in for vacation. When did this become? But that's what it was at King, at King of the Hill because it was literally in an office building with law firms. On the, either side, so like it was not Hollywood at all. You were just an ordinary. I know it work. was. It was really, <laughs> except you'd ride in the elevator with people with their briefcases, and I right. Think, oh, that could have been me, but oh, I'm yeah. getting off on the fourth floor, not fourth. the eleventh. And fourth that's, floor is where the fun is. That's right. Yeah, man, man, oh man, that's so funny. But yeah, I mean, I'm just you know we talk. See, my see when I talk about you guys, and it's just amazing. The, the career that you've put together in film because <clears throat> it's not an easy jump it's not an easy uh it, it isn't easy and it's, easy, it's not easy to stay there but yeah you had a that big hit and that, that'll that can carry a long way so yeah and look i i'd say sure talent and perseverance and all those things but you say yes to this no to that it's it's really kind of it's random i yeah. could have like how many shows could we have said yes to instead of King of the Hill? There was there was a time when we would be crushed every year because we were shooting. This show is going to be NBC Thursdays at 830 after yeah. Friends. If we get on this show, we're set. And then we wouldn't get on staff. Like, ah. And then that show would get canceled after yeah. six episodes. Yeah. yeah. And then because we didn't take that King of the Hill came our way right and and it's one of the things i see is that you don't you can't plan a career at all in this you can only you're you're sort of like the you're swimming forward saying i'll eat that i'll i'll avoid that Mm -hmm. then you look back and you say whoa look it's like skiing down a mountain yeah you're just going through and then you turn around and look and you say whoa that was a pretty steep hill i just went yeah. down you, you it's all behind you and and only after a number of years can you look back and realize what brought you what yeah. brought you that to the well hopefully not the bottom a ski mountain in reverse what brought you to the peak you know right? it's 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 interesting i heard i was listening to i can't remember oh it was jim carrey into that's who it was his dad was wanted to be i guess a, a saxophone player he was a you know great jazz musician or whatever but he had a family and then gave it up he got like a regular job. I think it was like selling insurance or something like that, like a normal job instead of pursuing his passion because he wanted the stability to, mm-hmm. to, excuse me, to have a family. Then at some point he got fired from his job, like at 52 or something. This job that was supposed to be safe and secure, he got fired from because it went out of business or whatever. Uh-huh. And, that, and that crushed him because it was like, but I traded it for security i traded all my passion for security and, and i don't even have security now you know yeah that's the the um i've been i've been at this for a while now and 
when I look back, I think, wait a minute, I've spent this many years never knowing what my next job is going to be. Yeah. And, but you can't think of it that way, or you will curl up in a ball from the uncertainty. You just have to say, what do I know? I'm certain of that I can write well and be professional and be diligent and meet deadlines and be a professional. And that's what I can, that's what I can control. And hopefully that's enough for opportunities to come to me. And when they come, I'll be ready and execute and fulfill the expectation. You don't always, you know, you turn in a script and they decide they don't like it. And that happens too. And that part of being a professional is saying, okay, you're not, not everyone's going to love everything. And sometimes you, you just have a way of going. It just does not work for them. And you, you know, you, you, you live to fight another battle. Right. I had a, uh, a physical with my doctor a couple, I guess a couple of years ago. And he, you know, I was in between jobs and you don't know how long you're going to be jobs. It could be weeks or months or longer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, boy, he's like, what are you working on now? I was like, oh, I'm uh, trying to get my next gig. He goes, he goes, I don't know how you do it. It would drive me crazy. I'd want to kill myself. <laughs> I'm like yeah, and yeah, by the I'm, way, and I can I can prescribe uh, uh, <laughs> a, a lethal dose of barbiturates in case yeah, you really, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, sure. Some people, some people, it it is hard. Yeah, we would um, our our agent would I, I think find it at one point humorous, or it seemed humorous where we would turn in a script. And then the next day, email our agent, say, what's next? With the joke being like, I don't want to be unemployed for a single day. Yeah. And what's changed in the last five or six years is you better be sending that email four months before you're turning in a script. Because that's sometimes how long it takes to even get a meeting on something. Interesting. Even for you. This exec really wants to sit down with you. Great. How's March 15th? Yeah. Like March yeah. 15th. It's January 15th. Well, right. I know, but everyone goes to Sundance right. and then they do this and then they do that. And 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 you kind of have to, I wouldn't say it's not stacking projects. I'm never writing more than one thing at once because I I think that would, mentally that's pretty hard to jump yeah. around a lot. But you start thinking like, what's that? What's out there? Who's starting to look? What are, what, you just kind of have to, yeah, do that. Do that a little bit more now of, of prepping, of coming up with those pitches that we, like we were talking about earlier. If all right, we, we've done this thing, and now I wrote a scene today. I got twenty minutes to relax. Well, what if I just came up with six silly putty movies? Right. Again, I'm not pitching silly putty. I'm just I'm trying to pitch. Think of something I'm totally not pitching as right. an example. Silly putty just called. They're inter- they, they I wonder gonna if they're going to like my yeah, like my yeah. ideas. I'm coming in. <laughs> I like I like serious putty turns to silly putty. I have something there. It isn't bad, but yeah. look, that, that's the other fun thing is to when you write the kind of movies I write, and you know it's a matter of time between anytime something hits, eight other people will be sure that their product is similar like they will embrace the lego movie is a huge hit this fill in the blank toy is going to be a huge hit too yeah and it doesn't quite work that way i've actually um learned quite a bit i didn't know any of any of this this is what you do is new to me it's unfamiliar territory to me yeah so i found this very interesting conversation well that that's good i am happy 
to help. And uh, I, I think at the end of the day, there's the nice thing is the commonality is writing from character is writing from yeah. character, whether it's an animated character, a TV character, a. But you know what? A, um, when we were doing our movie, we did we sold a couple movies, and I I was a little. There was so much free rewriting. There was so much free work that had to be done that it really it really took the wind out of me. And no one was to blame. They were just, everyone was doing their jobs. All the producers were doing their jobs. And I'm like, but you guys are, you're going to kill me here, you know? And I don't get paid for this. And I was like, I, I'd rather stay in TV. I just thought it was much saner, you know? Yeah, that's for sure a, a problem because you turn in a script and I think you're right. Everyone's doing their job and their job is to have the best possible version of the script to turn into their boss. Right. So you'll get the, I love it. But before I show it to mm -hmm. this person, if you could just fix these things, as I know he really has a pet peeve about people saying the word stupid. So we right. need to take out all the stupids and but also i was also thinking in this scene mm -hmm. i go oh, okay well, all right oh, does okay, that oh, get you, does that bother you at this point or you're just like oh okay you know does that i'll tell what i guess what bothers me is there are times where a person has said i think this part could be better because you're missing this and i'm confused by this mm -hmm. and that's going to affect the read and you look at it and you say <clears throat> That's really true. That's good. It's the times when it's either based on fear mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. uh, the supposition that this person is going to have all these thoughts. So you'll spend a week rewriting it. And then none of those concerns were the boss's mm -hmm. concerns. Some, like we once did a, we wrote a, we adapted a French movie that was, it took place, it was Cavemen. And it was the mm -hmm. world's first murder. And these two cavemen tried to solve the crime. And we get, we're started getting notes like, I don't know about the, the main character's mother who appears in this scene. I'm not sure about that scene. And maybe we should think. And our thought was either you want to make a caveman murder mystery or you don't. No studio right. is going <clears throat> to decide whether or not to make it based on the main character's mother in that scene, her attitude seems a little right. off. So then it, sometimes it just feels like, well, what are we, what are we doing? Are we, are the steps we're making moving this towards the green light? And if they are, that's great. You want, you but want to always be a guilty. player. They'll always yes. try to convince you that it is. That's, that's really true. And yeah. that's the, in an ideal world, what happens is your agent and manager call them up and say, no way is my client doing this. Oh, can and you do that's that? never, no, that's never oh. going to happen. Oh, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever won that fight. I don't think I've ever won that fight. Like in terms no, you of- can't, You can't win that fight. Right. Because, because the producers and the studios control the narrative. So you just get played off as they're difficult. They won't do this work. They didn't turn right. in the script. We thought they were going to turn in. So you, the, the, one of the, the keys is if you work with really good people who trust you, they won't put you in that position. They will say, Hey, 
this sucks. I know. I hate to ask you to do this, but could you just take a look? Here are 10 notes that the junior executive gave. And if you could just address these, they can give it to their boss with their full right. you know, full-throated support. And then you realize, okay, I get – if you tell me the, my role in this, I can fulfill that role. But if you're making it seem like these are actually improving, does, does that make sense? Like, yeah, don't tell me these are making the script better, but it's okay to tell me these aren't going to make it better, but they're going to make it sell. Right. Because I get that, that this is a business and that you're trying to convince a person or a green light committee, however many people, to spend $80 million on an idea. Right. And that is not something anyone does lightly. Yeah. And you need every cheerleader you can get. And that's that's part of being a professional screenwriter is also saying, okay, what what do you need from me mm -hmm. to give you what you need to sell this? Right. And great producers know those things. And insecure producers don't necessarily know that. So they just become very reactive to the latest thing the studio is telling them. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. We had, uh, I'll tell this story, and if it goes bad, if it goes south, we had done a pilot with some, and when we pitched it to someone at the studio, they said, oh, but that is exactly the kind of show that the network should be making. Yes, yes, we're going we're gonna to pay you to write that. Then in the process of writing it, the studio exec got hired by the network where he then passed on it. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> We had that same exact thing happen to us. Uh, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that off the air. <laughs> and you know, at the time it was. But of course, the in his defense, on. maybe you're once you're on the inside, you realize exactly what. Right. They're looking for. Like, you know, he could have said, "Is hey, I steered you wrong, whatever." But it was just because well, <laughs> you know so they, they think, "Oh my God, we got the man on the inside. This is he's going to fight for it as surely as he did when he <laughs> no, sold no. it." Cameras, uh, all of them. How funny is that? That's <laughs> hilarious. Well, this is a good stopping point. John Abel, thank you so much for uh, for having me in this chat. Hopefully, you'll tell your partner Glenn that, and and he'll he'll do the, and he'll contradict everything you just said. I'll get the true he'll version. Say, Let me tell you what really happened. What really happened? Yeah. But thank you so much. This was uh, I I know the uh, my audience is going to love this, but I love this because this is a really uh, educational. I'm, I'm for here me. for the audience of Juan Michael. That's me. All right, man. Thank you so much, everyone. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, keep writing. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jamin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.